Thank you, Joe. I'm going to do something exactly opposite what we usually do this morning, and that is I'm going to begin the message uh, with a uh, part of a salvation invitation. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. And I want you to listen to this question, and I want you to answer honestly. How many people this morning, nobody's looking but me, how many people honestly can say, I know for sure that if I were to die today, I'm absolutely certain, 100% sure, that I would go to heaven. I know that I'm saved. Would you slip up your hand? I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Lord, you see the hands. And I pray that you would help us today to respond properly to your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask that question again in a few minutes. And if you couldn't raise your hand right there, I'm going to tell you how you could raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I, want to, I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. But for a minute, I want to talk to the people that did raise your hand. Oh, yeah. And if you were asked that question a hundred times, you'd raise your hand a hundred times. Oh, yeah. I know for sure. Isn't it a great thing that you know that you will never come into condemnation for your sins? Isn't it a great thing that when you hear the preacher or anybody else talk about hell, that you never have to worry? You know, if you were saved as an adult, you used to have to worry. Well, I hope that's not true. Or, man, I, I, I've grown up believing that there's a hell, but, but I don't want to go there. Isn't it a great thing that you don't have to worry about that anymore? Praise the Lord. It never, of all your concerns, you know, we're worried about uh, health care and we're worried about uh, taxes and we're worried about uh, our, our freedoms and, and all those things, and, and we need to be. But that's not on your list of worries. You don't worry that you're going to die and go to hell because you're saved. Isn't that wonderful? Do you think for a second, though, that you have a right to not worry if other people are going to die and go to hell. Have you ever stopped to consider your coworkers? Could I say this, and I'm preaching to myself here because I work at this. I really do. You know, when I, when I see, and we've seen those pictures again and again of the, the husband and wife that murdered those people and the uh, Islamic terrorists, there I said it, uh, Islamic uh, terrorists that um, murdered those people in San Bernardino. You see those pictures, and i got to work hard. I really do. i got to work hard to not sit there and think, I'm glad they're burning in hell right now. But, but I don't think that. First of all, by the way, I know that everybody who's deceived, including Adolf Hitler, including Osama bin Laden, that's the work of Satan. And but for the grace of God, I'd, I'd think just like they do. And uh, I, don't have a, I don't have a bit of compassion 
for, for them in their, in their evil. And I want you to understand this. If I had the opportunity to have found uh, Osama bin Laden before Robert O'Neill did, I'd have no problem pulling that trigger. See, that's hate. No, that's not hate. That's justice. I'd probably witness to him before I pulled the trigger. I'm not trying to be funny there. I want him to go to heaven, but then I want to send him there right after he trusts Jesus or denies him. Now, I'm, I'm a preacher, so my job is just to make sure people go to heaven. But don't think for a second. Hey, don't forget, when they brought that lady to Jesus and, and Moses' law said, I didn't intend to get into all this, so, so we, we're, but we're taking, uh, uh, where's, where's Mary? We're taking what Mary calls a bunny trail. But uh, um, I didn't intend to get, but we're here, so let's, let's stay on this road till we, till we at least address it. When they, under, under Moses' law, a woman taken in adultery should have been put to death, and the man. And so they've, they've caught this woman in the act. Now, how they did that, I don't know. But they caught this woman in the act, and they brought her to Jesus just to get Jesus in trouble. And here's the difficult position that Jesus was in. Jesus was not, a, uh, he was, he was not in the position to execute justice. And, but if he were, he'd be in trouble with the Roman government. So they were putting, trying to put him in the corner. And say, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. What do you say? Moses says she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And we know what Jesus did. He he knelt down and he wrote in the sand. And there's been a million speculations of what he actually wrote in the sand. But whatever he wrote, one by one, their accusers had the stones in their hand waiting for Jesus to give the word. They dropped the stones and walked away. And so... If we're not careful, that would seem to indicate that Jesus was saying, okay, all of the laws are off the table. Now, let me remind you, by the way, that in Genesis, before the law of Moses, right after the flood, God set down a law of justice. If a man sheds another man's blood, that man's blood should be shed. God set that down as a rule of justice, as I said, before Moses, before the law. But now, wait, it would seem like Jesus nullified that. No. Let me, let me tell you why. Jesus was not an elected official. Jesus was not an appointed official. Jesus was not a civil judge. Jesus was a preacher. Jesus came to show us how to live a, a God-honoring life, how to live the life of grace. Jesus was our example. But if I were... Okay, let me be frank. I hope this doesn't make you angry, but if it does, so be it. I believe 100% of the death penalty, 100%. And uh, the, the blood of the innocent cries out to God for everyone who has violated the law of Genesis 9. That is for all human beings. If you intentionally take a man's life, your life should be taken. All right, I, I went too far down the bunny trail there, but I was in the neighborhood, so I thought I'd clear it up. Now I can't find my way back. We're, <laughs> I'm looking for the point of departure, and I can't find it. But how, how easy it is, but how wicked we are if we know that we have eternal life and we don't want everyone else to have eternal life. I want everyone to be, everyone to be saved. 
You say, well, sure, that's the right position. It is because it's the position God takes. Peter says he's not willing that any should perish. And when, when he says he's not willing that any should perish, what he really means is he's not willing that any should perish. There's no small print there. There's no between the lines there. Well, he's talking about any of the elect. No, he's talking about any of any. He's not willing that any should perish. It's not God's will for one person to die and spend an eternity in hell. So if that's not God's will, then that should also not be my will. I don't want anybody to die without Christ. And yet, the average Christian in this country that is right now so boldly declaring itself to to have so many Christians. How many Christians are content to sit by with their forgiveness of sin and with their everlasting life, with their fire escape ticket, and not do anything to help everyone they can to come to Christ? Our churches sort of a tagline this year, has been passion for God, compassion for people. And that's more than just our, our slogan for this year. That's going to continue. We're going to hang on to that for a few years. Because I think that says what, what we're all about, what we're supposed to be all about. Our relationship with God, passion for God, and then our service to God by reaching other people for Christ, compassion to people. Most of my Sunday morning messages are about the first half of that, passion for God. Passion for God. Because I believe if you keep that passion in your heart for God red hot, everything else will fall into place. So most of my Sunday morning messages are about your passion for God. This morning, though, we're going to focus on the second half of that tagline, compassion for people. Jesus was getting ready to leave. He had died. He had risen from the dead. He was getting ready to ascend. There were 40 days in between the time he rose again and the time he ascended back to heaven. During those 40 days, practically every time he saw the disciples, they were not with him constantly like they were before he died. He would just appear. And they would, he would talk to them. Nearly every time he talked to them, he stressed one thing. One thing. And that is this. Now it's your turn to take the message. Now it's your turn to take the message. The most famous of those statements is in what we read a few minutes ago. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, there's four steps there. Go ye, that's soul winning, winning souls, going out there, finding people, giving them the gospel. And uh, teach all nations. Baptizing them, that's the, the, uh, I'm sorry, going, soul winning. Third, baptizing. That's taking the new convert and and leading them to... By the way, do you know that there's not a command in the Bible for a new believer to get baptized? The command is to us to lead them in baptism. We're supposed to help them to understand the value of following the Lord in believer's baptism. So go, teach, baptize, and then it says there's another teach, teaching them to observe all things, and that's the process of discipling them in the Christian faith. Teaching them the Christian faith. And that's our responsibility. Turn over to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. And here is another one. In fact, this is the very last time. There are several others, but this is the very last time that Jesus tells his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. 
Jesus is now on the Mount of Olives, which is just right next to Jerusalem. And they're on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is getting ready to leave. And one of the disciples says, I have a question. Yes, sir. Okay, now, is this one you're going to tell us? Is this one you're going to tell us about your kingdom and stuff and who gets to? They still didn't get it. Tell us, tell us what's coming. Do you have any charts for us? Can you give us a date? Can you tell us who the Antichrist is going to be? Can you tell us what the, the beast and the horns means? Can you tell us, teach us all that? These, the disciples, at this point, I'm not going to mock them. Or I guess I already have, but at this point, uh, boy, they would have they loved old Harold Camping's radio broadcast set in the day. would have loved that. And uh, they would have loved to do seminars where we, we don't ever get anybody saved, where we just get together and uh, we try to uh, pick apart every little phrase. I know we just did a study on Revelation, but uh, that we gave you an overview over a few weeks. But, but, I mean, I'm talking about these classes where you just sit and pick apart every phrase and what does that mean and where is that and, and let's nail this down and speculating on all kinds of things that aren't actually in the Bible. And uh, there's a rule in reading the Bible, and that is to be silent where the Bible is silent. And so the Bible is silent, for example, on the identity of the Antichrist. You're never going to figure out who that is. Stop trying. And all those things. So, But they would have loved that. The disciples at this point would have loved that. So Jesus gets them one more time back on point, verse number 8. Uh, verse 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There it is again, the last time, the Great Commission, where Jesus said, your job now is to go. Now, people that want to let themselves off the hook for this job of taking the gospel to every creature, they will tell you, well, that was for them, that's not for us. Good luck with that when you're looking Jesus Christ in the face at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, well, I just believe that that was for them, that wasn't for us. If you have any sense at all and you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you know good and well that the command to take the gospel to every creature is for every one of us. So, we have this commission. I want you to look at Acts 1.8. And I want you to notice the four places that he told them, ye shall be witnesses. First, Jerusalem. Second, Judea. Third, Samaria. And fourth, the uttermost part of the earth. It is every believer's responsibility to reach his own Jerusalem. What is that? First of all, that's the circles that you travel in every day. Every one of us travels in different circles every day. You see people every day that no other believer sees. You influence people every day that no other believer influences. That's your Jerusalem. But your Jerusalem is also the city where you live, the city where you Sir, uh, we, we don't all live in Danbury. In fact, I don't even live in Connecticut. But listen, as close as we live to Danbury, if, if God were to bring a sweeping revival to Danbury, it would affect, affect all of us wherever we live. So our Jerusalem, the circles we live in, the town we live in, 
and certainly the town that we worship in. And so for that reason, I'm going to say the city of Danbury because that's what brings us together today is our location in the city of Danbury. city of Danbury, as of 2013, population was given as 83,684 people. I'm guessing it's not exactly that number anymore. But 83,000 people, if you want to round up, 84,000 people in the city of Danbury. That's a big number. doesn't make us a large city. We are the seventh largest city in the state of Connecticut, but we're certainly not a small town. 83,000 people. And it's our job to get the gospel to them. And we've got to find a way to do it. It's not good enough to sit and say, well, <clears throat> there's no way to do it. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. That's not good enough. That same census said that there are 31,154 separate homes, separate housing units. 31,150, that's a big number. That's a lot of work. I don't know what percentage of that number that we have hit, but it's not a large percentage. Now, praise the Lord, we have the potential to go into every home through the radio, but we can't measure that, so I'm not even going to count that. We've got to find a measurable way to get into 31,154 homes with the gospel. That's our job. That's our responsibility, and we've got to find a way to do that. We've got to find as many ways as possible to do that. Are they all going to get saved? No. Are they all going to come to church? No, I don't even care. We, don't, we can't seat 31,154 homes here. Uh, I don't even care. Uh, what I want is to fulfill my responsibility to get the gospel into every one of those homes. I was driving yesterday the perimeter of Danbury and just praying and just pointing at home and saying, God, get us into that house, get us into that house, get us into that house, get us into that I don't know how. though They've got gates in front of their house. They wouldn't even let me in if I tried, but get us in there somehow. We've got 31,154 homes, and I'm guessing that doesn't count all those units they put up down there on Kennedy Avenue, so uh, that number has certainly gone up. Then it says you're Judea. What is that? Judea is the broader region. It would be similar to our state. It would be similar to our region, the northeast United States. I want to share this with you. And I had no idea Brother Barnes's family were going to be here today. But uh, we were blessed for the second year in a row to go to the uh, Church Pioneering Conference in Hoboken, New Jersey. We were on Washington Avenue, seven blocks away from Carlos Bakery. Amen. That was a blessing. So we, we had uh, traffic all the way home, but we had cannolis all the way home. So I want to read you the names of the 20 families that were there. There were, there were several hundred people there, pastors and uh, even youth groups. It was wonderful. But, uh, and, and here's what the, this isn't just a, this is not just a rah-rah thing. This is not a rally. This is a money-raising thing. And uh, I've got to find a way to organize all of us to go down next year to be able to contribute to this in a big way. You literally sit there like an auction. And in this auditorium, they bring up three church planters at a time that are going somewhere in the Northeast, some who have already started somewhere in the Northeast, and they tell where they're at. uh, I'm talking about financially, their starting date, if they haven't started yet, what their needs are. And uh, one at a time, the, the preacher is there, and uh, Brother Rizzo comes up, who is himself a church uh, planter in Hoboken. And he says, oh, and he, some people have already, did, their church already had, gave, two, for starters, $200 to every one of those men. 
And uh, then there's uh, other preachers that couldn't be there that said, we'll give $150 to every one of those men. There's 20 of them. That's a lot of money. Then they have businessmen who've already said, I can't be there, but we'll give $150 to every one of those men. And then they go around the room and say, here's the need. What, what can we do? What can we do? How can we help? And churches and pastors and Christians and Christian businessmen finance those works. Let me read them for you. I want you to hear this. These are the men who were there on Friday. Tony Barbosa going to East Providence, Rhode Island, starting a church. Starting date is September 18th of 2016. Matt Souza going to Walcott, Connecticut. That's in between Southington and Waterbury. And uh, he's actually starting the first Sunday of 2016. Ian Brown, he was here at our camp meeting. Brother Brown is, is going to uh, Boston and actually Quincy, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. He's starting next September, September 1st, 2016. Peter Chamberlain, he's already started. He's in New Hampshire, has started the Granite State Baptist Church in Concord, New Hampshire, started in 2013. And uh, they're, they're still uh, try, uh, getting a, a building and renovating it. Brother John Lafreniere, you know him. He's in Fairfield, Connecticut. They started 928 of uh, 2014. And, of course, you know that his uh, wife has uh, ALS and uh, she is declining, by the way, rapidly. Keep them in your prayers. Brother Jose Santos, he has already started. He started last January in the middle of an ice storm. And uh, they started in Plainfield, New Jersey. Brother Mike Newberger started in 2013. And um, they uh, started the North Brooklyn Baptist Church in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, they, by the way, within the last three weeks, just had a church building just fall into their laps, which, you know, in the city, that's just, that's an absolute act of God. And uh, that's tremendous. Uh, Brother Roe Dudley, he's in Fred, Frederica, Delaware, and they started in 2010. Brother Rick Winkler, and they are in Manahawkin, New Jersey. And they started in 2000, September of 2013. Pastor Ron Barber, he's in Marlton, New Jersey. They started in March of 2011. Pastor Brett Reitenbach, and uh, they are in Greenfield, Massachusetts. They started this year in September of this year. Brother Brad Wells, he is literally on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., he was a missionary, very successful missionary on the mission field. And in the spring, I believe it was the spring of 2013, I think it was, he's in Africa. And God just touched his heart that he needs to go to the Washington, D.C. area. And they were given a room on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. And they have about, I think he said about 40 people and every one of them is a staff member of someone in Washington, D.C. Tremendous. He looks, I'm, I'm telling you, if you could see him, he looks like a member of the Kennedy family. He just, you know, God just has called this man to, to look like, to, to go somewhere and looks like, look like he belongs there. Brother Brad Wells started January of this year. Brother Ed Beard is in Annapolis, Maryland, and started in September of 2014. Pastor Dana Dice is in Queens, New York, 
They've been there since 1999. You say, well, that sounds like, you know, he shouldn't be called a church planner anymore. Um, to me, having started a church and being in the VFW for 10 years, uh, until a church is um, the pastor's full-time and they have their own building, they should be, and especially in Queens, where, I mean, you got to have God's call if you're going to go in any of the five boroughs because it's just, it's, it's impossible. It takes an act of God. There's a pastor that he's, he, he's he, Brother Arius has been here before. Sometimes uh, they, they have met in Manhattan. They have met in Yonkers. They're back and forth depending on where they can get a building. Their church is right around 20 years old, and they're still meeting in rented. And, and they will average 150, 200 people. He's a phenomenal preacher. They're doing a phenomenal job, but they don't have a building yet. It's impossible. It needs an act of God. And so I've got no problem with a man in Queens uh, being at a church planners conference and us doing everything we can to help him. By the way, Brother Dice is just a tremendous. Okay, when the Smiths come here that stay with uh, Brother Corky and, and Deb uh, and they, they go to a church in the city, that's the church they go to, Pastor Dana Dice, tremendous man. And uh, so they are, they're still seeking the Lord for a building. Pastor Alan Thompson going to Baltimore, and they're starting in April of next year. Pastor Nicholas Stelzig going to Yorktown, Virginia. I don't remember this guy it says he's starting in, in 2020. I don't remember hearing him. Anyway, uh, Pastor J.J. Lusk and uh, in Rockville, Maryland and started November of 2014. Pastor John's, John Barnes and his family and as I said, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, State Line Baptist Church, and they started in May of 2014. Pastor James Nero, going to Lawrence, St. Lawrence, New York, started September of 2016. Is starting September of 2016. Pastor Burton Gates has already started a church in um, Philadelphia, and uh, that church is is. Uh, going gangbusters now they're starting another church in philadelphia and they're gonna he's gonna pastor both of those churches did i list 20 churches there i hope i didn't skip a page these are people that are ready to go now i i worked a job the first seven years that i pastored to to pay my way and i admire that and if i were to do it again i'd probably do it again that way just because that's who i am and but you know what we have an opportunity through the Northeast Vision and through the, there's a couple other church planner conferences like that, to help these guys to not have to wait seven years to get at it. And since we have that opportunity, we, we need to help them because that is our Judea. All these guys are within the Northeast. And you know what? There'll be more coming behind them. Praise the Lord that there's young men coming out of Bible college, colleges that God has called them to do this. And we need, to, we, we need to help them in any way we can. We need to pray. And I think it's no mistake. We're not to the end of the message yet, though I need to get there quickly. We need to pray for God to help us to help these men. We need to pray, well, God, what can I do to help them get this done? Do you understand the great solid rock Baptist church that has impacted the entire Northeast? They were once... These men. Can you imagine having 20 Solid Rock Baptist churches in the Northeast? 
my goodness, what an impact that would, that would have on our entire nation. Because as goes the Northeast, so goes the nation. It's one thing to sit there and say, I can't do anything. It's another thing to say, I got to do something. God, show me what I can do. Show me how I can make a difference. That's our Judea. Don't ever forget this. Because I've been there. I know what it is to meet in a rented building and then visit somebody's service like ours and say, I hope they appreciate what they have. Some of you have never been in a church where you've got to turn a dance hall into a church service every single Sunday. Where after I say amen this morning, we fellowship for about five minutes and then we're putting chairs away. I'll tell you, if we were in the VFW today, what we'd be doing, I'll tell you right now, what we'd be doing today, Santa Claus used to come this Sunday every year to the VFW. And so we would have to end church at 1130 and completely take down our operation. And it took a few minutes because it was I, we had some, some, some detailed stuff. We did that for 10 years. 10 years is a long time. Ten, some of you haven't even been coming to our church 10 years. Many of you haven't even come to our church 10 years. Imagine 10 years and people were getting saved and much of Angela's family got saved. And so many of the people that she brought and many others of you uh, coming to church, ten, that's a long time. Okay, I'm saying that for one reason today. That's where the Barnes family, that's where they are right now. That's their ministry. And for us to come to church and to enjoy ourselves and to ignore them and 19 other families like them and to say, ah, I need a plasma TV. That's more important. Now, if you can do both, God bless you. But if you have to choose, do we even know what sacrifice means? I was getting to the finish line too soon. Let's keep going here. He said also Judea. Now, here's, if you put together the region of Samaria, I'm sorry, the region of Judea and the region of Samaria, you know what you have? You have the whole nation of Israel. So what he's saying there is not just your region, but the whole nation. And finally, he said the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's where we come to our foreign missions program. I want to give you quickly before we go four things. Four things that it is my responsibility and your responsibility to do. We live our lives and we hardly give a thought to our responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. Can you admit that that's true? Can you not plead guilty to that? We live our lives and we hardly give a thought to, a, to our responsibility to take the gospel to the whole world. Boy, we think about our houses. We think about decorating. We think about our man cave. We think about our car and how, oh, man, it's three years old and I don't have a new one. We think about all these things and it's all about self, 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 me, 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 me. And when we're forced for 20 minutes to think about the rest of the world and the fact that they're going to hell without Jesus Christ, we cop an attitude and say, shut up, pastor. It got nothing to do with me. Pity on us. Shame on us. Four things we can all do. Four things we all must do. 
And I'll give them to you first and, and say a word about each of them. Go back. Pray, live, witness, give. First and foremost is always pray. Live. You've got to live it. We're the salt of the earth. We've got to live it. Third, witness. We've got to be better soul winners. We've got to be more diligent soul winners. Fourth, give. Now, today our emphasis is going to be on giving, but let me say a word about prayer. I want to read something for you. Listen carefully to this. I read you an excerpt a couple of weeks ago from this book by a man named S.D. Gordon, who lived in the early 1900s, who wrote many books that were uh, entitled Quiet Talks on This Subject, That Subject. This book is called Quiet Talks on Prayer. This man's uh, writing was recommended to me by Dr. Williams, just to give you some perspective. Listen carefully. Prayer opens a whole planet to a man's activities. I can as really be touching hearts for God in as far in far away India or China through prayer as though I were there. Not in as many ways as though I were there, but as truly. Understand me, I think the highest possible privilege of service is in those far-off lands. There the need is greatest, the darkness is the densest, and the pleading call is the most eloquently pathetic. And if one may go there, happy man. If one be privileged to go to the honored place of service, he may then use all five outlets direct in the spot where he is. Yet this is only one spot, but his relationship is as wide as his master's and his sympathy should be. Here he's saying the missionary who goes to Africa has as much responsibility to reach the whole world as the rest of us do. It's got to be a team effort. A man may be in Africa, but if his heart be in touch with Jesus, it will be burning for a world. Prayer puts us into direct dynamic touch with a world. A man may go aside today and shut his door and as really spend a half hour in India. I'm thinking of my words as I say them. It seems so much to say, and yet it is true. As really spend a half hour of his life in India for God as though he were there in person. Is that true? If it be true, surely you and I must get more half hours for this secret service. Without any doubt, he may turn his key and be for a bit of time as potentially in China by the power of prayer as though there in actual bodily form. I say potentially present. Of course, not consciously present, but in the power exerted upon men, he may be truly present at the objective point of his prayer. He may give a new meaning to the printed page being read by some native down in Africa. He may give a new tongue of plain to the preacher or teacher. He may make it easier for men to accept the story of Jesus and then to yield themselves to Jesus. Yonder men swept and swayed by evil spirits and by prejudices for generations. He may make it easier for them to accept the story and if need be to cut with loved ones and step out and up into a new life. That's powerful stuff right there. The power of prayer to go to all these places and make an impact for Christ. Live it. I said pray, live, witness, give. Live. We are the salt of the earth. If we're not living it, we're not going to make a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can witness your coworkers all they want to, but the first time you lose your cool and curse and, and have a fit in front of them, it all goes down the drain. And I believe they're worse off than they were before you witnessed to them. Because now you've showed them your wicked, foul flesh and you say, it was, you can't recover from that? You're going to have to humble yourself and go to them and say, I'm so sorry. You just saw my unconverted nature, and, I'm, and you're going to have to humble yourself big time if you're going to have any influence for Christ. You've got to live it. 
Pray, live, witness. We do that through our soul winning ministry. We do it through uh, handing people tracts. We need to be better soul winners. We need to be more faithful, consistent soul winners. And number four, give. And this really, let's be honest, is the focus of Mission Sunday, to give. We don't have a missionary come on Mission Sunday. Well, we didn't plan to have one, but uh, we don't have a missionary come preach because I want to lay the burden on you of what we need to be doing. Uh, let me ask the men, Brother Corky and, and whoever you have helping you, to pass these out. I want everybody here to take two of these. One you're going to turn in, the other you're going to put in your Bible. On one side, it's got a prayer list. These are all of our current missionaries. On the other side, it says 2016 Faith Promise. As the Lord provides, everybody take two. You take two and pass it down, if you would, please. As the Lord provides in 2016, I will give blank dollars per month to the missions program of Northeast Baptist Church over and above my tithe, signed and dated. Now, I'll say this. um, The only reason we ask for your name, we don't we don't keep a record. We really don't. We keep you, you know you know your giving records, but we make no. I'm, I'm sorry, you know that we keep track of your giving records if you choose for us to, because you get a statement at the end of the year, and our people are very diligent about that, and they do a great job. And we had uh, the um, accountant come and tell us that. Praise the Lord, we're doing a great job. But we don't keep track of these. In fact, we we total the amount. And we throw these in the garbage. We don't know who promises what. We dead sure don't track who promises what. We don't come back and say, hey, you promised to give such and such and you haven't. We're not even aware if you do or you don't. You're making a statement of your faith. You're saying, by faith, I'm going to give this amount every month. And then we're going to have the faith in you and in God that you're going to keep your word. But your faith promise in 2015 has kept, helped keep these people. In the, in the ministry. This is the list of the people that we support. We want to keep them in service, and we want to add to that. Now, we support through what is called the Dale J. Bertalovitz Fund and something that is not reaching its full potential as of yet, but we support one church plant right now, and that is the, the um, City Baptist Church in Hoboken, Pastor Rizzo. So that's done through the budget. And we're going to try to increase that in the budget this year. I'm okay if church planters fall into the faith promise. In other words, I want, but let me just tell you what we want the faith promise to do this year. We want what we give to missions this year, all of us, all year long, to continue to support these people, to add one more Final Frontiers missionary. So there'll be two Final Frontiers. That's a a native pastor somewhere in the world in a place where we don't support currently. So may I remind you, by the way, that our previous Final Frontiers missionary was martyred for the faith. I can't say that without getting choked up. We supported a missionary through Final Tears that was martyred for the faith in a Muslim-controlled place. David's not even this guy's real name, but they got to give us some name, so they made one up. I'd like to add another, at least one more missionary. That takes 50. So somehow we're going to have to come up with an extra $50 per month. I'd also like to add at least one of these church planners. In fact, um, 
I committed to two that I believed we could do through the budget, but I'd like to add one beyond that. And if the, the Barneses hadn't uh, come in, I was going to go ahead and say we want to support the Barneses in 2016, but since they're here, I can't say that because that would be embarrassing. We also want to have the ability to take on another missionary or two as they come through if the Lord so leads. And so we want to increase this. Now, this is your prayer list. Pray for these folks. What we do, we, I ask you to sign this just so we know that it's real. If, if one comes in and there's no name on it, I don't even, I don't take it seriously. But we put your name. Listen, I've gotten stuff signed by Elmer Fudd before just because people are being stupid. Um, I'm asking, I'm, I want legit names here. And your legit name, not somebody else's. And I want you to put down the name. Now, if you know today, yeah, I can give, I'll give what I give, gave last year plus $20 more a month. If you know that amount today, I'm going to ask you to write it on both copies. Keep one, turn the other one in. If you say, boy, I'm not sure yet, could you pray about it and bring it back tonight or pray about it and bring it back next Sunday? You're making a commitment. Here's the kind of commitment I'm asking you to make. I'm asking you to make a commitment that you will be as diligent to as you are to paying your light bill. See, here's why we're not good at giving to missions. Because if you don't pay your light bill, they come turn your lights off. If you don't give what you promised to give to missions, something gets turned off, you're just not aware of it. It's a slow death. Can you be as diligent to pay a faith promise and to do your very best at it? Let me also point this out, folks. Our church doesn't benefit one bit in this. Not one bit. I don't go anywhere and tell anybody, yeah, this is how many missionaries we support. I, don't, I never one time have told anybody the number of missionaries we support. 